Welcome to Open Door Policy. Each time we gather with a different person from the Archdiocese of Detroit who is unleashing the gospel in a different way. If you like what you hear, please listen to us and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. So, Danielle, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Great. And this time we're with Bishop Robert McClory. Bishop, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's great to be having a conversation with you and Danielle. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Welcome uh, to the studio. Yeah. Danielle, what, uh, what's God been doing in your life? Dude, I have to tell you this story. So I was just in the chapel before I came here. Thought I grabbed my uh, Magnificat, for, Magnificat for the month. Nope, grabbed November. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to see what I can find in here. Read this story about Venerable Francis Xavier, who was imprisoned in Vietnam. This is not uh, Francis. It's a different yeah, Francis yeah, 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 yeah. A, a Vietnamese gentleman, uh, cardinal. And he he told this story about this. I'm sure it's just like a parable, but there was a guy named Jim and he would always go to church for like two minutes. And the sacristy was like, hey, how come you only come here for two minutes? He's like, I don't have a lot to pray. I just say, Jesus, I'm here. It's Jim. And then as this guy was dying, he was at the hospital. This is like Jim in the parable still. He's in the hospital. And uh, and and the doctor would. It was like, man, everyone's so happy to see you here. He's like, yeah, I have a guest. And he's like, who's your guest? He's like, that empty chair. Jesus shows up and says, hey, Jim, I'm here. It's Jesus. And the, and the, the bishop was like, that's pretty much all I could pray when I was in that camp. In Isn't prison. that incredible? That's beautiful. Yeah. Praise God. What about you? Um, I was recently uh, traveling to the March for Life, and hey. I was in the airport uh, dressed like a priest because I'm always dressed like a priest. And uh, for the first time it's happened in, air, in an airport, which you hear about or see in a movie, someone came up and like said, hey, I see you're a priest. Uh, can I go to confession? Oh. I was like, that was so cool. I was just, wow. It was a great joy. Oh, has that ever happened to you? It has. No, it's been a great blessing uh, for people to just seek out the mercy of the sacrament and to be able to confer it right there. Yeah. Hey, that's Praise so neat. Any, uh, any grace you want to share with us, Bishop, in your life? You know, it's a season right now of transition for me, and so the grace really is just uh, the gratitude that the people of God seem to be extending to me during these days of transition, and so it's just very gratifying. Anytime you move on to something new, you can savor what you have, and so it's just yeah. a new appre appreciation of all that God is doing. Praise God. Well, from the uh, merciful God to the ruthless rapid-fire oh, questions I, here. Wow. This wow. is big time. Rapid-fire. Yeah. Yeah. Are you Hurry ready? I, we'll see. Let's All right. Have it. First question. What is your superpower? Um, gosh. Uh, I would say uh, making ice cubes. Okay. <laughs> what do you remember about church as a kid? Uh, when I was really little, being able to look through the bottom of the pews and see people's legs. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. What scent, what smell elicits an immediate memory? Uh, peppermint. What Would you rather it be 100 degrees and hot or negative 10? 100. Same. What are you praying for Wrong. these days? Um, for God's grace to use me when I go to the Diocese of Gary. Yeah. Um, and what is the first concert that you ever went to? I think it was a Moody Blues concert. Ooh. Yeah. What's the most beautiful church you've ever visited? For me, uh, the cathedral in Lyon, uh, Spain. Okay. What item of clothing would someone be surprised to know that you have in your closet? Wow. Uh, I have a 1997 
University of Michigan National Football Championship hat that I've only worn like twice. <laughs> Co-champion. Um, no. and what, <laughs> sorry. From Nebraska? No. What, uh, what class could you teach? Uh, canon Law. All right. That's awesome. true. Let's go back to some of these. When were you in Leon, Spain, and what were you doing in that church? So here's the truth. You, Danielle, did the full-on Camino. Yeah, you know, You walked it. You hiked it. It's you know, you talked to me about this years ago, and I found a way not to come, and I should have been there. It was a fantastic <laughs> trip. Yeah. Uh, so when I was a seminarian, we kind of did the cheating version. We, like, drove to different places. What? And so, you know, it was all we had. <laughs> it was, was the 90s. We just had a weekend. So anyways, we drove by, and suddenly it was just a revelation to me. And I think the first time you see, like, uh, just this full Gothic church, yeah. it's just stunning. And so for me, that was fantastic. I mean, I've been to Chart and some other places, which aesthetically might even be more beautiful, but because that was the first one, yeah. I was just like, this is unbelievable. And it was just beautiful. And it made me look up. It made me focus on spiritual things. That's awesome. That's awesome. What does peppermint like call back to mind? You know, it's just, it's kind of a bright smell. Um, it seems like just a smell from younger days. It's a very fresh smell. Yeah. So I just feel, I don't know, feel young again. <laughs> <laughs> I love the smell of peppermint. It's my favorite kind of mint when they have all the different kinds of mints. Oh, really? Yeah. I like spearmint too. Yeah, like wintergreen. That ain't working for me. Never trust a wintergreen mint. Yeah. In, in 1997, did you get that hat or was that like a later? A so, later gift. You know, I 1998, was, you're like, I was what? away. I was studying. So I had to follow my favorite football team, the University of Michigan, kind of remotely at that time. And so I was hungry for any little, you know, knickknack I could get that would said national champions. And so uh, somebody sent it on to me and it's totally unused. It's not going to go on eBay. I'm keeping it. <laughs> it's going to Gary. It's coming to Gary. Absolutely. Hey, yeah. And the story of that is, Danielle, like I, you're not a huge football fan, right? I'm so sorry. No, no, I, no. I had to like Google when the Super Bowl was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Siri, what yeah. is the Super Bowl? Uh, no, the story is like Michigan should have been the nat- <laughs> So my phone activated. <laughs> The story is uh, like Michigan should have been just straight up national champion. Absolutely, and the coach, longtime coach of uh, Nebraska, Tom Osborne, Tom Tom Osborne retired. Or did he, he did, and yeah. so there's a lot of sentimental voting. The coaches all voted for at that time the pre BCS era. They all voted for. Osborne in Nebraska, but then the media all voted for Michigan. You know, these so they're co-national champions, <gasps> but everyone knows Michigan okay. was a better team. Okay, well, here's team the thing. Year. So my coda to that, you know, that was that a year later, I was ordained a priest. One of my best friends was ordained a priest in the diocese of uh, of Omaha, okay. Archdiocese of Omaha. So I go to that diocese. And he asked me to give like the toast and the prayer <laughs> at his ordination party. Where that and of course, hat? I'm Where from Michigan. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we had a lot of fun with that. And, you know, they tolerated me because I was probably a little bit obnoxious about Michigan. That, it, it, I don't know if I've ever been that <laughs> yeah. way with you, Father Steve. I, I've, I've heard such things. What was the ice thing? You know, so this is going to sound really silly, but when I go on the uh, NAC reunions, we go to the tree farm every year. Yeah. We all have different, like, house. And NAC is the North American College in Rome. Mm -hmm. So we have an annual reunion. And so each of us gets these, over time, we just have these house jobs. So I'm like the ice (laughs) capo. So that means I got to make sure that all the tubs are full because we have an ice maker there. And so I make sure that they're all full. For a while, I was the pine cone capo. 
But then they started, somebody else started doing that, kind of took over my job. Did you get promoted or is it a lateral fire move? Fire and ice. I don't know. You know, fire yeah. and ice because the pine cones were for the, for the nightly oh, yeah. fire. And the ice is like, hey, as the for other you know, is the vitamin water uh, staying cold. It's yeah. really not that much beer. Oh. Not that much. Um, so I was just thinking, what do I like? That's like on those goofy reunions. I'm the ice guy. Yeah. So it's that, a great superpower. So I like it. And uh, one last one to go back to uh, church as a kid, looking through the pews underneath. What church was that? St. Francis de Sales in Detroit, which is now uh, where Loyola High School is. In fact, okay. the, the main church building is now the gym. So where I was like sitting pew level and you know kneeler level and looking through and seeing people's feet, uh, now they play basketball in that area. But it's still uh, it's a beautiful place doing God's work. Did it still have... Those little uh, like hat clip oh, things. Oh yeah, they had those back clip things. I never quite knew what they were. They they had little envelopes when I was going, you know, going there. Okay, so. awesome. Thanks well, so much. So you're going to Gary, but many things brought you to where you are today. Can you tell us a little bit about those things? Yeah. So I was raised in a very Catholic family. Um, in fact, uh, I have two uncles who are priests. They're missionary priests. Oh wow. Uh, my mother never made final vows, but she was in religious life from when she was, I don't know, probably about 15 years old to like, you know, 24, 25, something like 23 maybe. Uh, so she was in religious life for a while, and then they kind of, you know, discerned that she was called to to move on from there. And so uh, my parents, you know, met, they actually met at St. Bonaventure uh, Monastery. Oh Solanus Casey. Yeah. Hey. So Solanus has always been really big in our family. Was he there? Uh, he would have been at that time, yeah. and uh, they were members of the Third Order of St. Francis, so that's really mm. how they met. So I'm the youngest of four kids, and we were raised in, in, again, a very faith-filled family. And my parents were always very involved in different kinds of lay movements. I remember going to like f- some of the first Focus Hope events, which at that time was really just kind of neighborhood parties in Detroit, at least that's what I remembered of it. Uh, they were involved in Curcio and Charismatic Renewal sure. and Marian prayer groups and... Uh, we made a family retreat when I was five years old to Canada to where Catherine Duke Doherty had a ministerial apostolate and a family camp and all that kind of stuff. So I always grew up with the faith being uh, part of my life and a vibrant and happy part of my life. So you know, you kind of raise that environment where it becomes a part of who you are. Uh, but really in my later high school years, it was when I became involved in a youth group at the Shrine Little Flower, actually mm. the prayer group of the youth group there. The time is called Quanania, which is kind of a version of Koinonia, meaning community and fellowship. And so it was during those years when, you know, the faith that I'd always really kind of uh, had alive in me became even more alive because I was surrounded by other people who loved Jesus and who loved the church and who wanted to share that good news with others. So that was really just a formative time for me to be around like-minded people and to to grow in a community of, of love and support. And so many of the people from that era of my life, I've still kept up very, very good friendships with. So continue, well, yeah. You were a young adult at the time? You know, I was a senior in high school. Okay. And so then that, you know, led into my young adult years where the faith just continued to grow. And, uh, you know, I, so I went to Oakland University, um, was blessed with a great uh, Catholic roommate there. And so we support each other in the faith as well. And then I went on and actually went to Columbia University in uh, New York City. So mm-hmm. at that time, I had not, like, New York City is a pretty expensive place and yeah. housing is crammed and all that. So I actually went to a youth conference at Steubenville, the Franciscan University, uh, and I went up to people with New York name tags on. <gasps> And I was like, hey, why not? I've never been to New York City before. What's it like? <laughs> and by the way, do you have any leads on housing? 
Uh, so eventually, you know, I ran into uh, Pedro, and he said, well, you could talk to Father Jose because, you know, maybe they have a place for you there. So while I went to graduate school, I was not a seminarian. I actually lived in the rectory of a Catholic church in Harlem uh, for oh, those wow. two years. And so that was just a tremendous experience where I got to experience my faith in a different culture, in a yeah. different city. And I would say at that time, you know, I could have gotten housing anywhere. Here I am at a rectory. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, of course, the, you know, the basic uh, trajectory in terms of my faith is that I just came to believe more and more that Jesus loved me, that when I pray, he hears what I'm saying, that the Holy Spirit is alive and moving. Uh, but that became an even more intense time of prayer for me, and it was a great experience. I came back, uh, worked for a year, went to the University of Michigan for law school, and probably about my second year of law school, I began to think a little bit more seriously about the potential of the priesthood. Graduated from law school, you know, kind of kept trying to turn my life over to the Lord more fully, uh, helped to lead other youth groups and young adult groups, and uh, I just began to realize that this is all true. You know, our faith, it's... If what we believe is true, then it changes everything, yeah. you know? I mean, they say, like, you can't be a little bit pregnant, you know, you are you aren't. I mean, like, <laughs> right. you can't kind of say, like, yeah, I kind of think there's a God, and I believe in Jesus, but it doesn't really affect my life. Well, do you think there's a God, and, like, you really right. believe Jesus is the Son of God? Like, if that's true... Yeah, he, right. he rose from the dead, but I don't want to trust him with yeah. my whole life, right? <laughs> and so, for me, that just, that sense that, like, if, if this is true, and I and I really came to believe not just because it was passed on to me by osmosis, that it really was true, then that changes uh, everything. Yeah. And so uh, so that is really kind of my formative young adult years into uh, kind of eventually going into the seminary. And was, then, like, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, so priesthood, was that always a thought, like, since your childhood, or did that kind of come when you were staying at the rectory, or when did that when did that thought? Yeah, for get me, planted? I would not say it was from when I was young. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, I had two uncles who were missionary priests, and so they were around the world, you know, advancing the kingdom of God in, in the way that they had been called to. But I didn't really have a sense of the priesthood. So I have some friends, and God bless them, you know, it was like when I was seven years old, I knew. Right. Um, I think for me, it was I came to a deeper relationship with Jesus, and then I knew that he loved me, and I knew then I got a better sense, even though I've been raised Catholic, that like, okay, well, he left this church and he didn't just perform miracles then, but the sacraments are like miracles happening every single day in every single church. And so that deep relationship with Jesus then just kind of expanded. So for me, it was a sense that, I mean, if, if you first kind of get like, when I pray, God hears me, and the sense that there is a plan for your life, well, then the rest kind of comes into focus. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, God has a plan. And so what, what might that be? And so it, it grew a little bit over time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where do you feel like God is working and calling now? Well, you know, after ordination, of course, you, you know, you're in a, an obedience relationship with your bishop. And I never, I didn't anticipate that that would be directly exercised by the Holy <laughs> Father himself. Uh, where, you know, you get the phone call and it's the Holy Father's appointed you to be the Bishop of Gary. And so suddenly uh, I know where the Lord is calling me. Right. It, that's that's very clear. And so, uh, but it's it's a lifetime of kind of saying yes in little ways to suddenly when you get a call like that, being able to say yes to a really big um, 
you know, request that's being made of you. I mean, actually, they said the Holy Father's appointed you. I never quite got the do you accept, <laughs> but, um, but that, that I, was implied, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but I accepted it as God's as God's yeah. will. Just to to talk about the quantania you said, or yes, qu- yeah. quantania. Like I just haven't known you for a while. I know what an important part community is in your mm. life, yeah, and it has been right. The friendships uh, with brother priests. I, I'm blessed to count you a friend, but I know like lots of those people who you were in a in leadership with in, in a youth group or or even when you were younger have continued to be a part of your life and what a blessing that must be for yeah, you. Yeah, it's it's really been fantastic uh the way the Lord has used that and you know relationships that go back, you know, 35 40 years now. It's it's incredible yeah. to me that they've uh that the Lord has been so good to me in that regard. And so some of those friends, I mean in fact, I literally just opened up the envelope today. He called me up, but uh, you know, one of the couples who married from there, hmm. uh, one of their uh, sons is now applying to enter the seminary. And oh, I was cool. his confirmation sponsor, how and cool. I've been chatting with him about this. So I'm just like, oh, this is beautiful just yeah. to see that next generation unfold. Like, look what God did. You had no idea. I know. And, and the beauty of like how he moved in your life for you to be a priest. Yeah. And how he moved in their lives to marriage and how like you you get to see the fruit of that. Like, yeah. And, and how they continue to walk with the Lord. Like yep. how, how Jesus was at the center of their life and your life. Yeah. And it's been beautiful for me, you know, in, in my own family as well. Like I said, I'm the youngest of four. And my parents raised us very strongly in the faith. And with my siblings, you know, just to kind of see as we all grow older together, um, how for all of us, our faith is even, I mean, it's far stronger now than it was pick the number years ago. And so that's a beautiful thing to be able to share that gift and to experience their encouragement. That's awesome. So you were ordained in 99? 1999. 99. Class of 99. Do, okay. I ever, do I ever boast of that class? Class of 99, they're doing fine. <laughs> that's right. No, I know uh, Bishop Aclory is very proud of his classmates, and, and that's another uh, like close group of friendship, uh, part of friendship in your life and, and community that's been... Uh, it's been important for you. Yeah. And you've always served locally until this point, right? That's right. I mean, I, I studied in Rome for five years, first year as a student priest, but otherwise all my assignments have been within the Archdiocese of Detroit. So now I'm getting launched out into Northwest Indiana. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, um, before we close up the segment, Bishop, is there any uh, particular assignment that, that you were given that you found uh, really graced or that, that brought a, a surprising grace to you, whether that was kind of a short assignment or a longer one? So uh, I've been blessed with all of my assignments. I mean, I've had some administrative responsibilities, and I always try to say I want to put the minister in administer. Uh, but And I will say this as a compliment to you, Father Polis, uh, that for me, beyond the assignment itself, the community life of being able to live with the Archbishop and, you know, with you during that tenure. And of course, there were other pre-secretaries as well. But I found that value of community life with the Archbishop in a household with him uh, to be an unexpected grace. And so I knew that I was going to have responsibilities, but I didn't expect, uh, you know, just what an enjoyable household life that we would have. So that's been a great gift. Yeah, because most people like, you know, at, at a certain age, you like, you know your household and you're kind of like, um, right. I don't want to say the head of the household or whatever, but living with the archbishop, it, it's a different kind of community. Yeah. And so there's ways where certain things give and certain uh, graces come from that. So I found that to be 
a great grace living with you for four years and the Archbishop yeah. as well, and, uh, and God was good. You know, the pinnacle for me, I mean, has been to be the pastor of the Shrine Little Flower, and that was uh, just a tremendous grace, a real blessing. I Which did... was your your last assignment now. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. I've been uh, pastor there, rector is also one of the titles that they use, uh, but, you know, for two and a half years. I was named about three years ago. Uh, but that would be, you know, the parish where I was involved in the youth group and everything right. else. And so uh, so for me to have the privilege of serving there was, uh, and is, because I still have a little bit of time left there, uh, just a, a tremendous and unexpected blessing. I didn't see that unfolding, and when it did, it has been a tremendous joy. Amen. Thanks be to God. So, Bishop, like this podcast is all about Unleash the Gospel, how God has been working in just a really unique and blessed way here in Detroit over the last 10 years, you know, thereabouts with the Archbishop being here. Unleash the Gospel is really the the pinnacle of that in in our minds. Um, You were really involved in that, like, way before it got unleashed or, or announced, like all the planning phase of it, Before right? Unleash the Gospel was unleashed. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, and if you if you look back, and of course I can tell you a lot or a little bit about this, but we had something called Together in Faith Phase 2, which was a pastoral planning process for the Archdiocese of Detroit, um, and it was the pastoral letter there was in forward and hope to share Christ, something mm. like that. And at that time we had discussed, you know, beyond kind of parish reconfigurations and a certain vision for what we should do in the diocese, was there's something on the horizon that we should look towards. And so if you actually look towards that document, the very end, Mm. the Archbishop really telegraphs there that he intends to convene a synod on evangelization, on the new evangelization. And, And so that was, you know, even though the actual planning unfolded a little bit after that, that was the first indication that yes, we should have a synod because a synod would be a very significant movement for the for the church in Detroit, and it was timely. The last one had been 1969, and rather than just being a generic one, it should be focused on evangelization. So that set the course, and so I and remember this, that. This is like 2012. It's exactly 2012. Okay, yeah, and because uh, I was ordained in 2011, and I remember this being somewhat new after my ordination. Yeah, so. and so you know that was. On the horizon, we were going to have a synod, but then the question also was we knew we needed to work in the area of evangelization, and so the Archbishop convened a group of, you know, let's just reflect on the evangelization initiative. We didn't even have a word for it yet. Uh, but what what I really learned from that process, or what was reinforced to me, was the primacy of prayer and waiting on the Lord. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, some of those meetings we were at, and we were like, where are we going with this? Like, yeah. what are we doing next? And of course, you're following the Lord, and you're trying to be responsive to the Holy Spirit, uh, but practically, what do you do? And so there, that was a long kind of runway until some things got launched. And and so, you know, we were saying, well, we, we should have a year of prayer, and that should be immersed in a prayer for New Pentecost, and we should make sure that we have, you know, a Mass for pardon. And, mm-hmm. and so all these elements came into place with a, a synod being significantly on the horizon. And uh, it's interesting now that I'm going to Gary, because we began to look at where, how other synods had, had functioned. So we actually took a look a little bit at Milwaukee Diocese, because they had had a synod. And the auxiliary bishop there was Bishop Hying, um, who, after being an auxiliary there, was sent to Gary. Oh. So we did our synod in Detroit, and yeah. it's interesting when I speak to some of the people in Gary, because they said, because Gary has a lot of similarities in terms of some of the demographic trends and, sure. and so on to Detroit, 
that they looked at what Detroit was doing and said, huh. let's see what Detroit is doing. So after our synod in Detroit, then Gary had a synod, and their pastoral letter is uh, go make disciples. And so uh, a lot of the questions I'm getting in Gary are like, well, tell us about how the synod worked yeah. in Detroit, and so sure. you know what synods are about, and you know how how they can, can go forward. And so uh, for me, that was a real time of significant grace. Uh, and I think particularly, I mean, Unleash the Gospel now obviously transcends just the document that the archbishop, the pastoral letter itself. Some people say it's a movement. It's a movement. <laughs> it's not just the letter. Uh, but there, there, there are so many riches in the pastoral letter itself. And I do remember as the archbishop, um, and, and this you know, was the archbishop's work, obviously, but he had uh, some you know, outlines in terms of like, you know, I'm thinking about going in this area. And so yeah. he, he was consultative. But then you know, as the work unfolded, it was just remarkable to see how the Holy Spirit went. And uh, some of the things that he's done in there, in the letter to me, have had an enduring appeal. And I'll, so, you know, pull back the veil a little bit. Ooh, I was somebody Exclusive open-door policy. Right. So I saw, and he had these outlines, and he was using terms like therapeutic deism, and, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I mean, I, I was like, you know, these are like... <laughs> Post grad terms, like yeah, just call it, words. you know, like feel good God or something, you know. <laughs> and uh, but these were terms that had made their way in certain sociological circles, and so the artist, you know, he like these these yeah. expressed what he did. And what's fascinating is, like to me, I think those are kind of like outlier, like those are kind of unusual words. How are people going to react? Well, some of those sections have such a potency because. They're really dense, you yeah. know, and, and and it's like you you can't just be facile and 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 superficial about describing the situation that we face. So there are a few of those things that yeah. for me, you know, I was like, that's kind of <laughs> like a ten dollar word there, Archbishop, you know. And of course, he was far wiser than I was. Uh, but you know, so there's some treasures that are in there. Yeah. The section that I think uh, the easiest entry point to to the letter to me are the good and bad habits. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, because what I have found, and I've done this with several different groups, that rather than say, okay, we're going to talk about evangelization, because it's a little bit like, okay, what do you mean by that? You know? Right. Oh, for sure. Uh, is that just working through those in, in an organization, in a group, to say, and by the way, I usually start with, with, you know, I usually, you know, start with the good habits and make sure we emphasize all that, but... In the letter, I think actually it says good and bad habits, but it starts, it starts with the bad with ends the with bad. good. Anyway, so, but if you reflect on those, I think it's a good, almost like examination of conscience for a group and for an organization. And they do have some practical implications. As you, It's not just an attitude, but it, it does affect how you make decisions and how you uh, implement them. Yeah. Yeah, I find the bad habits really just insightful, how they point out things like, you know, fear or a complaining attitude or a wor worldly notion of the church, like... Those things that can be so easy to just to creep into. I think, like you're saying, like yeah. our attitudes or mm -hmm. our kind of outlook. That uh, it's an invitation from the Lord to kind of call that out, right? To renounce it and say, okay, I want to be intentional not to be about those. Yeah, things. and we've always, you know, we've always done it this way. And in a couple of things, you know, as matter of the Korea, because it, you know that some of the the good habits were to you know be bold and be innovative. Well. So in my own mind, kind of like the, the toggle switch from go, no go, yeah. right. like leaned heavier to go. Like mm -hmm. so long as you had like a disaster recovery plan, <laughs> if the thing went terribly awry, like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? It could fail, yeah. you know? And I've launched different, you know, I, I mean, initiatives and, 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 and so people might be like, well, how's that going to go and how will people react or is it going to, you know, well, like, okay, well, what if, what if it doesn't get the response we want? 
right. we'd try something else. You know, right. it's not the end of the world. I mean, this this sense that like everything I do has to have this optimal level of success or otherwise I'm a personal failure. Or right. I didn't do God's will. It's like, hmm. no, I mean, you know, you try it and yeah. doesn't work. You try something else, but y- you know, what's the downside? Yeah. No, no, exactly. And that God wants us to be innovative in saying like, okay, there are, John Paul II talks about new and ardor, new and expression and new and methods, mm-hmm. right? That this generation of people um, needs to hear the gospel in a new way. The same unchanging truth, life-changing power of Jesus Christ, but in a new way. And he's calling us to be innovative. Have in your parish that you're in now, is there any particular thing you're seeing in a, like an innovative innovative new way of evangelization that's inspiring you or anything just generally in the church? So I think at the Shrine Little Flower, we have uh, just a group of people who are excited and enthused about evangelization and who really love Jesus. So I have actually found it to be, you know, not a hard sell to say, you know, let's talk about sharing Jesus. Um, you know, even strategic planning efforts that predated Unleash the Gospel and some other things were really pointing in that direction. So I think we've tried to capitalize. One of the things that Pat Lencioni in the Amazing Parish Model talks about is what are your distinctiveness, mm-hmm. distinctive qualities. So, mm-hmm. you know, something as simple as Dream Cruise, which right. is, you know, a pre-made event, you know, we could sit there and just kind of say, oh my gosh, this is the craziest time of the year and who are all these people, you know, sitting on our lawn? Well, we're like, hey, get (laughs) off our lawn. (laughs) These people could be wanting to come into our church. And so we really work on that. And and I'll tell you, I've I've been in another place that will go nameless, uh, but there was a major fair, not in the Archdiocese of Detroit. uh, But I went there and literally it was a time where like the streets were flooded with people and the church had a sign that said, we're closed, and, and it literally tracked that we're closed during this fair, and it gave the dates. And I no thought, way. oh, it was terrible. <laughs> I thought, this is like where you, you know, you couldn't... There are too many people here, so yeah. we're going to close. <laughs> I, I mean, you could shoot a squirt gun and hit 52 people standing outside your church doors and invite them in. So I would say uh, that has been helpful for us. And also, you know, we I think we keep trying different forms of shallow entry points. Mm-hmm. Um, and we launched a new one recently called Ascend, uh, which is a, a Wednesday night. It's uh, twice a month. And so uh, it's uh, largely uh, Eucharistic adoration, uh, and kind of praise and worship, but yeah. then once a month we have a real prominent uh, speaker come in. And so it's it's a blend. Uh, sometimes groups, you know, if you say we're going to do this every week and it's going to be in perpetuity, you, you know, you can kind of strain some of your leadership a little bit. So to say we're going to do it a couple times a month, and one of those is going to have a special featured speaker with some real evangelization content and discipleship is, is a good thing. Uh, but I think, you know, forming our people in evangelization... And at Shrine, you know, one of the things we're going to do is have a, we're we're having a prayer summit and it's coming up soon because we have so many Mm. people that are praying. We have 24-hour adoration. Yeah. We have a Love God prayer group. We have a God the Father prayer group. We have a rosary prayer group. We have a... The uh, children who pray the rosary every day. uh, We have... uh, Armada Armada Blanca. Blanca, The White Mm. Army. It's the most beautiful thing uh, in the world. And... Divine Mercy Prayer Group. So yeah. getting yeah. all these people together to pray, who pray for a prayer summit, uh, we think will be a source of energy uh, and just spiritual renewal. That's awesome. Danielle, have you been to Gary, Indiana before? I've driven through Gary, Indiana, and I've also seen the musical The Music Man. That was kind what of else do you need to know? <laughs> Gary, Indiana, Gary. Have I, you been to Gary? I have been to Gary, and I actually saw The Musical Music Man with Father Polis himself. Oh, really? Yeah. Wait, you were in it? 
No, no, no. He was in another play when he was a kid, but not that A long time ago, Ukrainian play. But yeah, we went to see it together. So no. we saw it in Stratford. They, oh, had a, they yeah. had a production of it a couple of years ago. Oh, I saw and, that too. And it was really quite, quite remarkable. And yeah. that inspired you? That was like a spark of inspiration in your heart? I, You're I, like, will, I should go there. I will take any sign of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I'm taking that one. Yeah. So uh, Gary, Indiana, it's about three, three and a half hours from here? Three exactly. Hours? About three and a half hours okay. from here. Um, and so the diocese covers uh, four counties in northwest Indiana. And it's uh, rich and diverse, and hmm. uh, it's really just got a mixture of the four counties. One would be rural. Uh, the others would be either urban or suburban or exurban or, you know, the profile in that way. Um, there is a new national park there, the Indiana Dunes, uh, okay. which is uh, kind of right in the Michigan City area. So it does border uh, the state of Michigan, uh, just on the far western side. And uh, the people there are just really quite... Quite beautiful. About 170,000 Catholics, I think, is the the latest uh, number that we have there. But it's uh, it's it's rich and it's dense with a great variety, a lot of different religious communities, a great Permitacan community, and so I'm really excited about going and, there. And there's a little connection with Detroit. I know, like I when I was in seminary at Sacred Heart, there were some Gary guys who had yeah. come come to Sacred Heart, so I know some of the priests, and one of their former bishops is from Detroit as well, right? Exactly. So uh, Bishop Dale Melchuk, who uh, served in the Archdiocese, who's a Detroit priest, mm-hmm. uh, was their bishop for a good 20 years almost, uh, and he uh, you know, retired five and a half, six years ago, something like that. And so he's been tremendously supportive uh, and really encouraging. And then Bishop Hying, uh, who's now the Bishop of Madison, succeeded him. And so that's been a, it was a great blessing to get to, to know him at the Ad Limina visit in Rome. But because I taught at Sacred Heart for 15 years, uh, probably probably about 10 of my, eight to 10 of my pastors, I would have either taught oh, so you, or been in seminary way. with. Yeah. Oh, that's so oh, that's cool. Really cool. So yeah. it's a real blessing. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the experience of receiving this phone call and like what you were thinking and, and just like what you went through in prayer over the next day or so? Yeah. So I was watching a high school football game. Good, good. Shrine was in the regional finals and, uh, I looked down and I saw, I had to pick up the Nuncio one time from the airport for an event in Detroit. So I had his cell phone number in my contact. So I looked and wasn't just like, hey, what's this number from Washington? Oh, okay. But I saw, you know, Archbishop Christophe Pierre, and I thought, oh, okay, well, this is something. Uh, so I was uh, by the football field high school, and then I walked away, went to the front of the school, which is right on 13 Mile Road, and returned the call. And he said, oh, he, he asked me two things. First of all, are you alone? I said, yes, but there's a lot of noise in the background because <laughs> yeah. of all this traffic going by. And then he said, are you driving? <laughs> and I said, no. Wow. He probably what, has, what a lead-in. Okay. He, he probably has experiences of guys, you know, <laughs> getting this news and suddenly, you know. <laughs> That's the Episcopal. Turning are you off sitting the, down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. You're driving. I said, no. And then he said, the Holy Father has appointed you the Bishop of Gari. Gari. And I said... Uh, well, if it's the Holy Father's will, I accept. I said, I, I, you know, I don't consider myself worthy of this. And he says, Oh, don't worry about that. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and he's uh, got a wonderful uh, French accent. He's he's amazing. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, I had done some uh, mission preaching for uh, priests in Uganda, okay, back in two thousand three, uh, and so with the Renewal Ministries group. 
uh, you know, we did this retreat for priests, a week-long retreat, and there were, I don't know, like 500 priests or something. Wow. And it, was, it was a beautiful experience. Well, the nuncio there, who we visited, was Archbishop Pierre, because he was no in Uganda oh, at the time. Wow. So I have these pictures from, you know, years ago, uh, Alec Deacon, Alex Jones, wasn't a deacon at the time, Peter Herbeck, myself. Anyway, yeah. it, w- it was a great team. So I, I did, I had spent some time with him before. Uh, so then, you know, we got into some of the practicalities, and then, you know, what do you do right after getting that phone call? Yeah. Uh, so you in, you tweet it right? <laughs> My tweet. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, can't tell you, but uh, so I went then. Uh, I actually went to, to the uh, uh, Blessed Solanus Casey Center. Oh, nice! And I just thought I should take some time in prayer. Um, and it was a real good opportunity for me. He did say that I could speak to Archbishop Ignoran. Oh, cool! So yeah, yeah. So when when you get told. It's not public, yet, right? Right. So you and have it's to like, like don't tell anybody. But he said I could speak to the archbishop. Yeah. Okay. So I texted. The, so I was driving. I didn't text and drive. <laughs> I was going to say wait, I was wait, driving. Open door policy yeah. does That's not right. condone texting and driving. Um, but I had, you know, I because I knew I was just look. I was just going to go pray, and that. But I did text and I said, "Are you know are you free this afternoon to the archbishop?" And so by the time I was, you know. Uh, at Solanus Casey Center, he told me the time he was free, and so uh, I went by there and had a great conversation with him. And, he, and Archbishop Vigran has been just a tremendous support and a real encouragement. So, Amen. that's yeah. great. Awesome. I got a couple of like goofy bishop questions. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I may be the goofy bishop yeah. to answer them. No, not, not goofy bishop. Goofy <laughs> yeah. questions for a bishop. Like yeah. uh, your coat of arms. Can anything you can tell us about like? Yeah. So anything on it? you know, when you become a diocesan bishop, and that's the only. You know, Bishop Tarabio is not an auxiliary. You you have what's a coat of arms that's called wedded with the diocesan coat of arms. Oh, okay. okay. So the left half of the coat of arms is from the Diocese of Gary, which uh, Holy Angels Cathedral. So you have angel wings. You also have uh, kind of what are called ingots. It 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 sort of represents something of the steel uh, making industry there. Okay. As well as the seven sacraments, because there are seven panels, and then there's a, a thurible with incense coming forth with our prayers rising like incense. So it's. Uh, it's simple and it's elegant and it's very expressive. So on mine, uh, you know, just praying and reflecting about it, uh, the dominant image is actually a chalice oh, uh, cool. representing the priesthood with a host, uh, you know, kind of emanating forth, you know, from the chalice. Yeah. So it's a very Eucharistic, which is very Christocentric uh, image. So it, the heart of it is Jesus. And uh, it's set against a blue background for the Blessed Mother. And I'll be ordained a bishop on February 11th, Feast of Our Lady oh, of Lourdes. Lord. Our Lady of Lourdes. Yeah, yeah, and I had just completed a uh, pilgrimage to Lourdes probably about two weeks before I got the call from the That's bishop. Awesome. So when we talked about dates, you know, and I pr- we I proposed February 11th. He said, "Sure, why not?" You know, because it was it was Our Lady. So that's a real a real blessing. Uh, the other images within it would be actually what's kind of a circular shape of a cord with three uh, kind of knots in it. Yeah. But it would be that's a symbol for the Third Order of Saint Francis, where my oh, parents yeah. met. So it it kind of evokes uh, my parents, the Third Order, uh, the Trinity uh, in that sense. Uh, no, no block M. In it no, that didn't make uh, you it know, to I end. have had uh, individuals <laughs> comment on that. Of course, St. John Paul II had a big black M on his, uh, and actually Bishop Melchick on his uh, mirrored that M. 
so anyway, then it's, it's not that complicated, but there is also a rose, which is for St. Therese, oh, yeah, a wow. little flower who's yeah. always been the patroness of our family, even before I became the pastor at Shrine. And then there's a pine cone, which is from St. Robert Bellarmine's uh, uh, coat of arms. And so he's my patron. My first name is Robert. Oh, but cool. The yeah. cool, for me, one of the, one of the nice touches on it is that we try to come up with something that would represent um, Blessed Solanus, which would have a tie to where my parents met and to Detroit. and but Like an open door that. or something? Whoa. <laughs> well, we did not go with that, but okay. the symbol in, when they used to have the old minor orders, you know, because now it's just, they call them ministries, lector and acolyte. Right. Used, so one of the minor orders used to be porter. So when you were kind of made or conferred or whatever as a porter, you would be given a key. And so on the coat of arms, they've reproduced the key that used to traditionally be given oh, with the Order so of Porter. Cool. So it's for the Porter of St. Bonaventure. Yeah. And so uh, because we're trying to think of what would be uh, a good symbol uh, to use for Blessed Solanus. And uh, so as we were talking it through, that one came to the fore. That's beautiful. And your motto? Is that public yet? Uh, yeah, it's Jesum uh, Dominum Predicamus. And I'll let you translate that, Father Pullis. We, we proclaim the Lord Jesus. We proclaim Christ the Lord. Yeah, I mean, basically, we proclaim Jesus, Jesus Lord. as Lord. Yeah. We proclaim Jesus as Lord. Very good. Okay. And it's uh, <laughs> Second Corinthians. And I actually had that passage on my holy card when I was ordained back in 99, and so it's always kind of stayed with me that it's not about preaching ourselves. We preach Jesus, and he's the answer to the question that is every human life, and what's our role to be servants for his sake. So we serve, we don't preach ourselves, and we do it for Jesus. Amen. As we are coming to a close here, we mm-hmm. always give our guests the opportunity to say something to the listeners, maybe a word of encouragement or a prayer. Is there anything you'd like to leave as your parting words? Yeah, you know, um, a scripture passage I've always, uh, you know, uh, really uh, taken to is, you know, uh, that um, to rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Um, have no anxiety at all, but in everything with, you know, um, prayer and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, you know, will, will come upon you. And so uh, for me, it's really just an encouragement that if somebody's having a difficult time, find a way to rejoice. And how do you do that? Because you can tell Jesus whatever you want. You can tell him what's on your heart. You can tell him your pains and your hurts. But do it with thanksgiving, because when, when we present our needs to the Lord, we can always look back and say, God, you got me through some really tough mm-hmm. times. You know, I had some real challenges, and you came through. And so um, I can have peace because you heard me before and you hear me now. So uh, so those are that's a passage that's always kind of stuck with me uh, from Philippians, and uh, it's, it's a word that I find inspiring when, when needed. Amen. Thank you so much, Bishop. All right. Great to be with you. It was so great having Bishop McClory in the Open Door Policy Studio with us today. We can't wait to see the great things God is going to do in his life and to bring the joy of Unleash the Gospel beyond the Archdiocese of Detroit. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your Trader Joe cashier. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Open Door Detroit. Help us unleash the gospel. Open Door Policy was produced by Ron Pangborn and the creative team of the Archdiocese of Detroit. So I'm like the ice (laughs) capo. I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy. So how much much do you want me to pull back the veil? (laughs)